<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. Yeah! I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win this. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. It began as a simple robbery short film with a crisp dialogue and charismatic actors possessing natural rapport with one another. From this humble, fertile, creative soil, a vibrant oeuvre of films did grow and blossom. (laughs) Eager to escape a banal future in annals of 90s buddy comedies, Wes Anderson transformed a series of quirky stories into a cinematic visual language so robustly quirky, so abundant with enigmatic yet carefully considered details, so distinctly his own that moviegoers fell as if fainting at true love's first sight into the ever-growing bandwagon of this visionary. If it may be said, without risking a stumble over the precarious line into hyperbole, the films of Wes Anderson are worlds unto themselves, worlds painted in dreams, and all the glorious hues of a jungle bird warbling its heart's song freely into the midday sun. Now, 25 years into his career, Wes Anderson is a man unbound, freed from the constraints of frivolous nuances of filmmaking like character development and plot logic. (laughs) He has made his most Wes Anderson film yet. Let us venture now into the quaint town of Henri-sur-Blasé, where we discover the outpost of an American newspaper, the French Dispatch, where the motto is, try and make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. In this quaint tower of stirring intellectualism, our intrepid journalists take us on adventures chronicling the final edition of this magazine. Here we will see an obituary, a travel guide, and three brief features. Directed by Wes Anderson and starring at least 82% of the members of the Screen Actors Guild, the French Dispatch asks the question, if a tree falls in a Wes Anderson film, does it make a sound? First impression, Helen. Oh my god. That was quite the intro. Holy. Um, Okay, yes. So we have been seeing trailers for this movie for years. <laughs> I know. Actually, because it was supposed to come out last year, right? Mm-hmm. And whatever excitement that I had for this movie has completely dissipated. Um, so yeah, I'm sitting in the theater just waiting to see if this is going to do anything for me. Okay. Sinclair? I've been pretty negative about this movie since the very beginning because my, my first impression of the film since the trailer released was, well, I think I called it a celebrity circle jerk, to be honest, <laughs> as soon as I saw Quite the trailer sure that for exactly this. What yes. you said, yeah. 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 I just felt like this Wes Anderson film was going to be too Wes Anderson y. Mm-hmm. So that was really my first impression when I first saw the trailer. So when the film started and I was actually finally watching it, I was kind of a negative Nancy from the get go. 
I can't so. imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> it was all downhill from there. <laughs> it was already all downhill from the downest hill. Yeah, point it was already that pretty down. Pretty much in a ditch. So. Wow, okay. Um, so first impression for me is that this opening is exactly what I want coming into a Wes Anderson film. So that very first opening shot of the newspaper printing room, all those machines doing their thing. And it's just also rhythmic and perfect. And then we get that sequence of the like drinks being put on the serving tray and Mm. then the server taking this absurd route (laughs) up to the main offices of the newspaper. Right. It's all I found it all to be beyond charming. And I know I know at this point already that I'll probably like this film. Mm. But I also suspect that there were people watching who knew already that they wouldn't like this film (laughs) so why don't we jump into storytelling Mm -hmm. yes so i mean as you said in your lengthy description this is a showing of the last edition of this magazine which i honestly didn't really understand till like i don't know halfway through that that's what was going on Mm. But basically what this movie does is it kind of just shows you a bunch of short films Mm -hmm. and ties it together. And for me, some of the short films I liked and some I didn't. And I don't think this needed to be a feature film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. Because of the anthology style of it, there's there's no like through line. Other than the fact that these are all stories in that edition of the magazine. But aside from that, they don't really matter. They're not really cohesive yeah i get that yeah Mm. see it's funny because i actually liked the setup Mm. of having this quirky newspaper and having these little vignettes of the stories that it featured and you know the people behind these stories i thought that there was a lot of potential there i liked movies like that generally like ballad of buster's scruggs i liked coffee and cigarettes these types of movies i generally can get behind um so i thought that there was potential there I honestly just felt like this movie was so far up its ass that it wasn't (laughs) giving me anything to really feel for and Mm -hmm. uh, really get behind anything it was presenting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in terms of storytelling, for me, the thing that this film is missing is that connection to something emotional and like humanistic to ground the film. A connection to something real. Right. Like we know Wes Anderson's films are going to be like looking inside this like whimsical pastel child storybook. Right. Right, And I love that. But his best films are grounded in something that matters emotionally. Mm -hmm. If you think about Royal Tenenbaums, that is a real character piece. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Underneath all the exquisite style of that film is actually this like deep examination of family. Yeah. Of the impact of inadequate parenting and of people's relationship with depression. Mm -hmm. And like Grand Budapest Hotel, which was a lot more highly stylized than his earlier films, but still underneath all of that showiness, it's a story about the rise of fascism. Mm. And so there's something that's grounding it. And this film just didn't have that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I've really loved Wes Anderson films Mm -hmm. in the past. He, I do truly think he is one of the most visionary and unique directors out there. Mm -hmm. His movies visually and aesthetically are just such a treat and you can always count on a Wes Anderson film to just look incredible Mm -hmm. but yeah exactly the majority of his films there are stories and characters that are really memorable and really endearing and can be very touching I feel like my enjoyment of his films have been declining Mm. lately and I think that as an artist and as a filmmaker sometimes you need to 
switch up a genre or Mm -hmm. try taking a risk a a little bit because I feel like your shtick can become very stale Mm -hmm. as anything that is successful does over time. Yeah. You know, you have a formula that works, but things can only work for so long before you have to reinvent the wheel, even slightly. Yes. Mm -hmm. The only exception to that rule are the chocolate chip cookies at Le Gourmand. Right. Please do not reinvent that wheel. Don't fuck with those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, you know, I, th- I feel like this movie, as beautiful as it was, it felt empty and, and stale. Yeah. And it felt a little bit soulless to me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I had I didn't feel any emotional connection really to any of the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I it's kind of like, I think, what we said last year about Tenet and Christopher Nolan. Like, Christopher Nolan is being too Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. and it almost feels like Wes Anderson's being too Wes Anderson now like yeah like really leaning into that style and not so much building up the story yeah yeah and actually similar to Tenet I feel that this film was just so overly complex mm-hmm. in the plot like almost ludicrously so yeah. frankly yeah it didn't need to be that no yeah yeah I actually like on paper, the idea of telling this story of a newspaper mm. magazine mm-hmm. as features, as separate features mm-hmm. of that from the newspaper. That's actually really cool. Well, there just yeah. has to be something that connects it all or even within the moment. Yeah. Because the thing is, like those other films you mentioned, right? The characters are still memorable despite them being in little vignettes mm-hmm. versus throughout the whole film. Yeah. Whereas with this one, because the character's are really only present when they're on screen and you don't think of them after because there's yeah. just so much else happening that it's difficult to care, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I, I mean, honestly, at one point, I question whether Wes Anderson had become a sociopath. <laughs> like somebody who just doesn't understand emotion or humanity. Like this felt so void of emotionalism. Mm. I couldn't believe it. I want to talk about the dialogue because... That is a big reason why I did not enjoy this film. It was actually starting to give me a lot of anxiety. Mm. I found it to be so off-putting. It was so grating to listen to. And I know that Wes Anderson has a reputation of his dialogue sounding very dry and overly intellectual. It really irritated me in this film because I didn't feel like this was smart writing. Mm. This wasn't intellectual writing to me. Int- intellectual writing to me is real observation. It's real humor. It's connection. It's an understanding of human beings and their mm. interactions. You can't just have characters saying very esoteric things to each other with no real personality or reason to care for them and expect it to be impactful or endearing these other elements need to be there or there's just nothing to care about and no amount of gorgeous aesthetic is going to to make up for that Mm -hmm. yeah well the other thing i was thinking while watching this was like you said you know that there's so many actors in this movie and if those weren't famous actors why would i care to watch this at all right yeah i think that that's totally true the Mm -hmm. the i think that the performers actually a lot of them did more with what was on the page than anybody yeah. else would have been able to. That's a testament to the actors themselves, right. though, not to the characters yeah. as they were written. One element of the storytelling in this film that I did actually appreciate was that kind of ode to journalism. I thought there was a lot for me to enjoy there. I felt that this movie 
really place the writers mm. characters in the stories so we got this demonstration of the like intersection between a journalist doing their job and the reality of what it is that they're covering mm. and that I think was most evident in the revisions to a manifesto chunk, yeah. right with Frances McDormand we really saw her character like crashing into the world of these youth activists mm-hmm. and influencing the lives of the people who she's writing about and that actually got me thinking about journalists mm. and like how when they're covering a story or event that they become a part of how it kind of blurs the line between the observer and the one who's observed and that was cool i actually mm. appreciated that i think those ideas are cool i think that you know showing what a journalist goes through and the importance of journalism and i, I like the idea of an ode to journalists i just feel like a lot of that was like lost mm. in all of this the style yeah yeah i think that that's fair i mm-hmm. i think that that's fair there was a lot going on yeah mm-hmm. um in this but i still pulled that away from it it was mm. something that made it made me think mm. So Wes Anderson has said that this movie is a love letter to The New Yorker. And there are a couple of stories in the film that are loosely based off of New Yorker pieces. So the one that you were just talking about, Edison, is based off of um, a two-part article by Mavis Gallant called The Events in May, A Paris Notebook, where she talked about uh, student protests. And then the bit with Adrian Brody and... um, Benicio del, Toro. Benicio del Toro is based off of a six-part feature called The Days of Duveen, which is about the art dealer, Lord Duveen. Um, so there is some ties to real-life stories there, but this is meant to be paying homage to The New Yorker. And you see it at the end, too, in the credits. Like, they're showing all of those covers, yeah, mm-hmm. which look so much like covers of The, of the New Yorker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were definitely moments. I will say, like... I think it's pretty clear neither of you enjoyed this film. And Sinclair, I mean, you we got your texts. Your, <laughs> right. Yeah, your... Should, we, should we read some of those texts? Yes, that, uh, some ex- excerpts from my manifesto <laughs> watching this film. Yeah. Yes, okay, here we go. So, okay, she says, I want to grind my teeth into oblivion. Yes. She says, I want to pull out my fucking eyelashes one at a time. I'm crawling out of my fucking skin. I'm losing myself into darkness. I want to swallow a bag of cotton balls and rub my eyes with grainy wet sand. Excerpts from my dispatch watching manifesto. Um, Wow. I mean, I think that says more about your issues as a human being. I I was having a full crisis watching this movie i found this movie so hard to watch it was making me like just crawl out of my skin Mm. like i was having a full-on breakdown watching this i found this film so (laughs) annoying to watch i just wanted to pull my teeth out one by one okay Yeah, yeah i mean i wasn't on that level like I said in the beginning, like there were parts of this that I did like. So there'd be a story that mm-hmm. I would get invested in. And I was like, cool, I like this. I like these characters. I want to see more of this. And then that story would be over. And then we go to something else that just did not resonate for me. So I was in it at times and then I was completely out of it at times. Yeah, I think that for, for me, I actually really did enjoy the film. I, I do recognize the critiques as being fair and mm-hmm. I have them as well, but it didn't 
take away from my enjoyment of the film. And I think that's that just goes as far as like I enjoy seeing these actors and I enjoy the beauty of the film. Um, so why don't we just jump right into performances? Mm-hmm. Well, many a performance in this film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody in Hollywood was in this movie. Yeah. I, I think my favorite was the coupling of Francis McDormand and Timothy Chalamet. I thought that was such an interesting choice. I just love watching the both of them. Mm-hmm. They had like really, really surprising chemistry. They did. I, yeah. <laughs> I loved seeing them together. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That was cool. And oddly, I also believed that they would have sex. Yeah, me too. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Sure. I know. I totally, yeah. totally bought that. They're both just super compelling. For Timothy Chalamet, I know that we love him and we uh-huh. fan him, but like for him to hold his own in a scene opposite Frances McDormand, several scenes, and to, in that manner, right. is really impressive because yeah. she is a force. Yeah. Right. Well, it's interesting too because because the film is very dry, mm-hmm. and he's such an emotional actor. Yeah. It's interesting to see him stay more honed in, but you could see in certain moments that his emotions were starting to. Yeah, and I was so grateful for that. Me too. Come on. He was resisting being put in the box of that dry sardonic Of this film. Yeah. 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 I feel like the actors in this, they knew the style. You know, they knew the tone. They know the energy of of Wes Anderson. But honestly, for me, nobody really shined Mm. in this. Yeah, I felt like everybody was was exactly that. Just, Just put in this box and like kept in mm. this box for the majority of this film where other Wes Anderson films there's characters that really stand out and their performances really shine this one I it just completely fell flat mm. for okay me. interesting I think that there were some that verged into caricature mm-hmm. right like Adrian Brody definitely did mm-hmm. even Benicio Del Toro right Lea Seydoux didn't really have anything to do but she had moments that were kind of interesting but for me Jeffrey Wright mm. I love he's this. a wonderful actor oh my yeah. god i thought he was actually amazing and his voice to work with all of that ridiculous dialogue <laughs> Do- yeah yeah and to deliver it in a manner that somehow felt natural mm. he actually brought emotion to it too like him and timothy were mm. bringing more to the character than yeah was there right. and I appreciated it. I he was my favorite. I really liked Tilda Swinton as well. Oh fuck yes, she was so dialed into that character, <laughs> giving that that talk. I I was really into that. Yeah, I agree with you, Helen. T- Tilda is wonderful as that. And again, it's like just when I think she's given me every type mm-hmm. of character possible, <laughs> there's like another one that she pulls out. Yeah, she can be surprisingly goofy. Right, she things. can be surprised. She can literally <laughs> yeah. do anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she really can. Like I defy yeah. you to give that woman a role seriously for not do it yeah it's wild okay well let's get into the technical aspects of the film yeah i i think technically this film will work for you or not depending Mm -hmm. on how much wes anderson's aesthetic gives you your life Mm -hmm. or not it definitely gives me my life and so (laughs) i i like love technically the film Mm -hmm. yeah i mean the visuals are really incredible in this like all his films the framing of the shots are so specifically curated Mm -hmm. and he has such a great mind and a great vision i just i find it disappointing when you feel like every other aspect doesn't line up with the beauty of what this film actually looks like Mm -hmm. there's really cool switch-ups of color to black and white that are done so effortlessly and they're just so cool and there's also just such precise symmetry 
mm. to everything. Mm-hmm. Like everything is in its place. It's yeah. like a very perfectly set picture. And it's incredibly impressive. Yeah. I think it's, I, it's actually almost mechanical the way right. that it's set up in that manner. Yeah. It's just so perfectly framed, calculated. That takes me back to the very first opening shot of the like print, the printer press room, mm. right? Where mm-hmm. it's just like this really well-oiled machine and how organized and efficient. And that's how this film was set up. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah, there there were quite a few tableaus in this movie, uh-huh. which were technically impressive. And there was a part of me that felt like that was sort of meta in the sense that it's a snapshot of one thing, like a freeze frame of that moment. And then you move on to the next kind of like what this yeah. movie was and what yeah. the individual stories were. Like mm-hmm. they were these little tableaus. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a rigidity to this film aesthetically that needs the balance of mm. some emotion in the mm-hmm. story Agreed. for it to not feel too rigid just too much like a museum <laughs> yeah. yeah like a museum piece. Yeah. yeah i yeah. think the production design in this film is almost incomprehensibly like astonishing frankly. right yeah. yeah just like imagine the amount of effort and attention to detail in this movie it's True. outrageous yeah you can literally pause this film <laughs> at any single moment mm-hmm. take it, that frame print it and hang it in a gallery yeah <laughs> like i love the way that this movie looked mm. diana vreeland the former editor of vogue famously said the eye must wander mm. and with this film i feel like i could watch it 10 times right. and still my eyes would wander to some discover some right, new right, little detail yeah. somewhere mm-hmm. yeah with that being said, I do think it won't work for everyone. Like, mm. this film is to sleek minimalism what Christina Aguilera's singing is to, like, a monastic chant. <laughs> in that she'll take a monosyllabic word and turn it into, like, a 26-note yeah. run <laughs> yes. with growls and screams and all the rest. Yeah. It could be said to be overwrought stylistically. And I yeah. think that there will be people who watch this movie that feel totally bowled over by the style. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Okay, so what is the last word on The French Dispatch? Honestly, I last word, I I was just crawling out of my skin watching this. I found this to be so unpleasant. Hmm. It reminded me of when I was a bartender and I would kind of be trapped behind the bar and somebody would just be sitting at the bar in front of me just talking at me. Oh my god. And talking at me just nonsense. Yeah. That was the like the visceral feeling mm. I got while watching this film. Wow. I hate that I felt this way. Mm. I wish that I liked this film because mm. I do like Wes Anderson and I I I'm upset that I thought this was the most annoying movie of the year so far. <laughs> and it it upsets me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of what I expected it would be. Um and it's probably i mean i haven't seen every single wes anderson movie but of the ones i've seen it's definitely my least favorite of his films but you didn't watch isle of dogs right no because you kept saying not this freaking dog trailer again yeah i I was sick of seeing the trailer which is kind of how i felt about this actually (laughs) do you know what's interesting i liked isle of dogs but i felt like that was the first film that he kind of diverged from having an emotional heart yeah yeah it's just moving in that That was kind of a style over substance film for me and this, I think it would be fair to say that too. The last word for me is that 
this is definitely far from being my favorite of Wes Anderson's film, but I did still enjoy it. Mm. And that is because I'm just a sucker for this sort of insanely elaborate setup and the spectacular beauty of the design of it. Yeah, I think this movie's a far cry from the kind of more story-driven films he's done in the past. Mm. And I do hope he gets back to that for the next one. But still for me, I thought it was a good film and I thought it's one worth watching if you're a fan of his aesthetic. This week, we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme. And the theme for this episode is Curiosity Killed the Meow. This is our week in entertainment. Curiosity Killed the Cat. <laughs> in case you didn't get the meow, meow. 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 Oh my God, guys. Remember when we saw cats? Oh, yeah. Yes. One of the best nights of my life. So fun. Now that's a movie. <laughs> Okay, so you go first. Okay, so I watched a movie called The Ninth Life of Louis Drax hmm. from 2016. Okay. Never heard of this film. Me neither. You, I think you might might have. It's uh, directed by Alexandre Aja. It's starring Jamie Dornan, Sarah okay. Gaddon, oh. Aaron Paul. Okay, nope. sort sort of on the uh, yeah, somewhere in it, my brain. This, this got kind of pushed aside because it was critically panned okay right <laughs> yeah okay so the ninth life of lewis drax is about a boy named lewis drax who <laughs> tracks so far yeah who is this very precocious one might say curious child who has experienced multiple near-death experiences hmm. eight to be exact oh. and he gets one more yeah so his ninth incident uh actually puts him in a coma he falls off a cliff it's done very mysteriously you don't Mm. know exactly what happened and so he is pronounced dead and in the morgue his body actually wakes up oh and then goes into like a comatose state Hmm. so there's this neurologist played by jamie dornan who specializes in dealing with the different levels of the unconscious mind. He's working on Lewis's case because he fell off the cliff and it's very suspicious. Lewis's father, played by Aaron Paul, is also missing. His mom is played by Sarah Gaddon, who is present, but she's also kind of mysterious. There's this um, detective also kind of looking into this at the same time. From the description so far, I am really struggling to gauge what genre of film this is. Okay, so there, there lies the... The problem, basically. All of that is is going on. There's also elements of reality that's blurring with fantasy. And we as audiences are also peering into Lewis's mind. And then he's communicating with Jamie Dornan on this unconscious level through his coma. So, like, what type of fucking movie is this? Is this a thriller? Is it a drama? Well, okay. This is, is, this is this is but that's the issue. So this was really panned when it came out. It got really bad reviews, and I've always been curious about this film. So this is my own curiosity mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. well right. going into this. It's also directed by Alexandra Aja, who is um, actually a French horror director. He directed a horror movie called High Tension, which I made hell yeah, watch. Yes, um, which that's has a very one. <laughs> a special place in my heart. So that's generally what he does. This film, it's so, it's tonally all over the map. 
which I think is the biggest problem that that people had when this came mm. out. It just doesn't quite know what it is or maybe it does and it wants to be all these things. It's mm. basically it basically starts out as like almost like in the style of a children's movie. Like it feels very Lemony Snicket's mm. huh. talking about these, you know, different lives this okay. this boy has had its very series of infor- unfortunate events. Oh, that's so weird. Uh, there's also this detective procedural aspect of it too, a mystery being solved. There is a romance going on that is like a film noir romance between Jamie Dornan and Sarah Gadden. Hmm. There is like a Taika Waititi coming of age, boy coming of age, father and son bonding. And it also has Pan's Labyrinth, like dark fantasy creature. Do you think maybe he was trying to do the nine lives of this movie? Of this movie. It felt like (laughs) it had nine lives, like 100%. (laughs) This movie's basically just doing all the things. That being said, I was not bored at all watching this movie. Mm. I honestly, I don't even think it's like, I don't even think it's a bad movie. Mm. Like there are a lot of things that are wrong with it. And it's honestly a bit of a mess tonally, maybe intentionally. I'm not sure, but I wasn't distracted at all. It like had my attention the whole time. So I, I don't know. I like never looked at my phone once I was in it. Jamie, wow, interesting. Jamie Dornan, I just love watching him. He's so charming mm-hmm. and he's so attractive. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Sarah Gaddon, Canadian gem. She's like, just, she's breathtakingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, it's absurd. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just absurd. And she's a wonderful actress and she's really great in this movie. I don't know. This movie just really kept my attention. And I thought it was interesting because this is based off a novel and it was originally going to be adapted by Anthony Minghella. Oh, Who okay. did Talented Mr. Yeah. Ripley, an English patient. And then he did pass away. So his son, Max Minghella, oh. ad- adapted it and did the screenplay. Oh, interesting. For huh. this. Do you remember um, when I sat beside him when we went to yeah. see Brie Larson's film? Yes. At yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So he did the screenplay for this. I also think that because this movie was rated PG that... Oh, that's no good. It couldn't <laughs> go... No, it couldn't go as dark. Yeah. I think that if this movie was rated R, it could have gone a lot darker and maybe yeah. just stuck with that tone. But I also just love the idea of cats having nine lives. <laughs> and I went... Kind of just went down a rabbit hole of like looking into why it said they have nine lives. Mm. And it's like this classic, you know, their dexterity. Right. Mm-hmm. They can jump and fall and... They survive all these things, but yeah. it's generally their curiosity that gets them into yeah. it. And yeah, I just I just love that and how they were just like worshipped by Egyptians mm-hmm. and they were considered these like immortal, invincible creatures. And I they know it's it so cool. too. And, and they, they know, know it. it. Yeah, yeah. And that that um, that attitude has been passed down. Yeah, totally. That superiority. Yeah. Um, yeah, so did this movie deserve to be panned the way it did? Uh, maybe. I, I <laughs> You know, uh, there are a lot of problems with it. But for some reason, I still enjoyed this, despite of all of that, despite of what a mess it was. And I just feel like it was something that I needed to watch in that moment. And for some strange reason, worked for me. Hmm. Fair. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Helen, what's yours? Okay, so I decided to go with the parts of this theme curiosity and killing okay 
and I watched <laughs> a movie that I've been wanting to watch for a long time. It popped up on Amazon Prime and I was like, okay, maybe this is the time for me to watch this. And there was also something that had happened recently in current events that reminded me of it as well. I watched The Crow oh. from 1994. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Directed by Alex Proyas, starring Brandon Lee. Here's the description courtesy of IMDb. A man brutally murdered comes back to life as an undead avenger of his and his fiance's murder. For those who don't know, the making of this film caused the death of Brandon Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was shot with a gun in a scene that was supposed to have blanks in it. And there was a projectile that was stuck in the barrel that then got shot out with the blank, hit him in the ad- abdomen, and he died. I'm sure many people know that this happened again recently. Um, on the set of Rust, the cinematographer Helena Hutchins was shot with a gun that was supposed to have blanks in it, and it had real bullets in it. Alec Baldwin was the actor that was holding the gun. It was it what they weren't even filming; it was a rehearsal, mm-hmm. and he pulled the trigger. There was real bullets in the gun. She got shot, and she died. Incredibly tragic, and it has brought up this event from 1994 yeah. or 1993. Mm-hmm. So I had I had known of this story and known of this film. This came up again and I was like, okay, it's time. I'm going to watch it now. Have you both seen this movie? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, Liz, <laughs> like not, at least 90s goth. Oh, like... wow. Okay. Yeah. See, because yeah. I didn't know about this movie until maybe like five or six years ago. An old roommate of mine brought it up to me. And in my mind, I'm like, the only reason this movie is infamous is because of the tragedy attached to it and not and I just sort of assumed it must be a terrible movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it's, no, it's actually, like, very interesting. Oh, yeah. So it's based off of a comic book series by James O'Barr. This movie's incredibly dark. Oh, fuck, yeah. Mm. Like, very, very dark. Watching it under the context that I was watching it is even darker. <laughs> um, and this is the opening line of the film. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes something so bad happens that a terrible sadness is carried with it and the soul can't rest. Then sometimes, just sometimes, the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. And listening to that opening line, knowing that Brendan Lee died making this film, it just it's just so haunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is, you know, a man that was in the film brutally murdered. So was his fiance. And he's coming back to avenge both of their lives. And it's just, it's really tragic and horrible and dark like there was not a glimmer of like anything sunny or bright or happy in this movie at all no brandon lee is really wonderful yeah and like incredibly charismatic and watchable and his um makeup in this film my first thought when i saw him in his makeup was heath ledger's joker Mm. and it turns out that they actually did base Heath Ledger's Joker's makeup off of the makeup of Brandon Lee in this film and oddly enough again with the weird mirroring like a similar sort of thing happened with Heath Ledger where he was doing playing the Joker suffering from insomnia because of partly because of that role taking too many medications and accidentally overdosing and dying and so there's just so many parallels and and really tragic associations in watching this movie but I was quite impressed with how much I liked it Mm -hmm. and how much I really liked Brandon Lee in it. And he, part of what his character can do because he has this like super 
natural power from this crow is he can heal himself. So he is actually shot at hundreds of times in this movie, which is also really unsettling to see. Like he's constantly being shot and then healing himself. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, you're thinking like, he did actually get shot and die. Like he didn't, he wasn't able to heal himself in real life. But then on the other hand, I'm thinking how many opportunities were there in this movie for something to go wrong? wrong? Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's just very, it gives you a lot to think about. Yeah. (laughs) But I really liked it and it's definitely worth watching. And I, I feel like he was an actor who, you know, really got, taken out in his prime or before his prime even mm-hmm. like he i think he could have a lot more to offer. yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. okay all right edison what's your pick okay so my film this week is the game from 1997 oh yeah directed That's by a David great movie. Fincher and starring michael douglas sean penn and deborah Kerr unger um the game tells a story of a wealthy san francisco banker that's michael douglas who is given an opportunity to participate in a mysterious game then, as his life is turned upside down, he begins to question if the game might really be a concealed conspiracy to destroy him. This film came out two years after Seven and two years before Fight Club. Hmm. So it's kind of the middle child of <laughs> David Fincher's like 90s hits. Yeah. And those other two movies made a huge impact on 90s pop culture mm. and are still relevant today and arguably are still David Fincher's most iconic films. Mm-hmm. And so I was curious about why this one kind of got lost in between. And I was sure that I had seen it at some point years ago. But when I rewatched it or watched it, I was like, <laughs> I don't think I actually have seen this. <laughs> this movie is mostly great, actually. Mm-hmm. So essentially, Michael Douglas plays this rich investment banker guy. Uh, And as he's approaching his 48th birthday, he keeps having flashbacks of his father who committed suicide when he was the same age. And then enter Sean Penn, who plays his like troubled younger brother, issues with drugs and being irresponsible, etc. Who gives him a business card for his birthday. That's from Consumer Recreation Services. Squid Game. Squid Game. (laughs) Very. They make your life fun, he says. Mm. So Michael Douglas's character is skeptical at first, but he's also bored. And more importantly for the theme this week, he's curious. Mm. Curious to do something out of the ordinary, to try something new. So he goes to their office, makes they make him run all these tasks, psychological ones, whatever. He's irritated by it, right? This is not a man who enjoys mystery or being in a situation where he's not in control. And then shortly thereafter, he arrives home to his like palatial estate outside San Francisco and there's a body on the ground in his driveway. It's a, a clown, but it's there exactly where his father fell when mm. he jumped off the roof and killed himself. So basically, the game is now afoot. And mm. from there, it becomes increasingly tense mm-hmm. and suspenseful. Shit starts to escalate for him. At one point, his foreign bank accounts are emptied. You know, he's narrowly escapes being shot at by a group of sort of paramilitary looking people. He gets in a taxi and the driver jumps out the door and then it, the car goes into the harbor and where he's locked in the back seat as it like sinks to the ocean floor. And I won't spoil the ending because for any listeners who haven't seen this and do enjoy a good thriller, it mm. is absolutely worth it. Mm-hmm. Worth a watch. Like a good David Fincher film, you don't really know and can't really yeah. predict where this is going to take you. Yeah. So it's really enjoyable, yeah. actually. Like this was a really enjoyable watch. It's mm-hmm. super entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Michael Douglas is perfect for this role. Yeah. He always plays this like rich, powerful mm-hmm. man. 
<laughs> he just oozes that particular type of like alpha male confidence and masculinity. Mm-hmm. He just does. You believe that he's a guy who doesn't suffer fools and who wins most every game that he plays. Mm-hmm. And so it's great to see him in this film put into situations like this, right? Working against what you see him as being that character. But yeah, I highly recommend this oh, yeah, it's a lesser great known of David Fincher's films. And uh, it was really fun. So in the spirit of the game, I'm going to very quickly explain the game to the no, listeners. You're no, you're cursing everyone. You're cursing every I know. single person that Rule number one the of the pause. game. Uh, Henceforth, you are playing the game. Oh, no. By virtue of explaining the rules to you, it is a literal impossibility to not play the game from now until death. Rule number two, whenever you think of the game, you lose the game. You are in a perpetual state of winning until the moment at which you think of the game, and then you lose. Rule number three, you must announce your loss by saying aloud, I lose, just like I just did. Yeah, now we've lost too. Yeah. Which in turn causes those around you to also think of the game. Ergo, also losing the game. <laughs> so right now, you have all just lost the game. You're so evil. I apologize. Evil. I know, I love it. Um, and you will begin to play again once you've forgotten. And I, it had been, it's been a couple months since. Yeah, we haven't lost in a while. We thought of the game and lost. Yeah, I lost. Somebody t- sent me a text a week ago to tell me that they lost. The worst is when you announce it on Facebook that you've lost, and then, <laughs> and then also because everybody else is losing, it keeps bumping yeah, your true. post <laughs> up until the top of the feed. So I just keep losing every day. <laughs> Listeners, text us when you listen to this and you lose. Yes. <laughs> Okay, well, let's play an actual game now. Um, this is a game I like to call What's New, Pussycat? <laughs> oh, God. So I am going to describe to you a cat character in a movie. Okay. And you are going to have to tell me what movie this is. So these are prominent feline characters in films. I love it. And it's a race? It is not a race. You are each getting your own questions. Oh, okay. With Um, the option of stealing a point? Yes. So here are the rules. If you are able to get it just off of what I say to you, you get two points. If you need a clue, then you only get one point. If you can't guess, the other person has the option to steal. For one point or for two? Four one. Okay. Mm, I've forgotten the rules already, so uh. okay. I'll keep you on your toes. Don't worry about it. Um, okay. This first one is for Edison. Meow. <clears throat> I do the. Does whole, that mean I you're starting the question when you do a meow? For this one, yes. Meow. 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 Trying to actually sound like a cat. Wait, are you asking the questions? In meows? <laughs> Do we is that imagine? We have to decipher. Decipher. <laughs> I am a no-name slob. I don't belong to nobody and nobody belongs to me. In an act of defiance, my co-star pushes me out of a cab and then immediately regrets it. She thinks she's lost me, but don't worry. We reunite in an alleyway in the pouring rain. <laughs> you can ask for a hint if you'd like. I would like a hint, please. It is raining so much, it's creating a river. A moon river. <laughs> Do you give up? I give up. Breakfast at Tiffany's? Very good. Oh, shit. <laughs> I don't remember a cat from that. That is one point for Miss Sinclair. 
Now, Miss Sinclair, here is your first uh, pussycat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do I get a hiss? Because it goes with the cat character. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am a resilient orange tabby cat who survived when almost everyone around me couldn't. My experience was really out of this world. Um, I'll take a hint okay. to verify. Okay. Um, I survived this first film and I'm also a part of the sequel. I think that this is Alien. That is correct. Well, Jonesy. Jonesy. Very good. Mm. Uh, one, a second point for you. You have two points. You have zero. Um, <laughs> just keeping everyone up to date on the score. Okay. <laughs> Number two for Edison. No meows or hisses needed here because I can speak. I am a boy named Thackeray, cursed to live forever as this black cat. Hundreds of years ago, I couldn't save my sister Emily. Now all I want is to join her in the afterlife. Those darn Sandersons. Hocus pocus. Very good. Yay! Uh, two, two points. Two points. Two, two. It's a tie. Okay. Cat litter? Gross. I use the toilet, thank you very much. I am my owner's pride and joy. Remember that one time I ran away and Greg tried to pass off a stray as me by spray painting its tail? <laughs> what an idiot. Read it again. Cat litter? Gross. I use the toilet, thank you very much. I am my owner's pride and joy. Remember that one time I ran away and Greg tried to pass off a stray as me by spray painting his tail? Ha! What an idiot. I'll take a hint. Greg is the um, potential son-in-law. Meet the parents? Very good. Did you know it? No, I thought clueless. (laughs) Oh. Clueless? (laughs) Yeah, remember Mr. Jinxie? Yes. The cat, yes. Robert De Niro's yeah. cat. You can flush the toilet. And anyway, yes, okay. yeah, the toilet. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, Greg. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So three, yeah. two. Okay, Edison, are you ready? I'm ready. No cheating. An unassuming stowaway cat? Hardly. I'm an alien flurkin disguised as a cat, and a great hiding spot for a very important cube. Hmm. This is Captain Marvel. Very good. That was easy. Four, three. That was kind of easy, wasn't it? Uh, You will probably get this, though. So four, three. Okay. I am named after a beloved Canadian actor and am the titular character of this movie. I also have a disease that means I will be a kitten forever. Keanu? Yes. (laughs) Sinclair wins by one point. Damn it. Very good. Do you want to know what the bonus question Meow. was? Yeah. Uh, me and my owner are both hairless and both evil. Oh, that's that's Austin Powers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for playing uh, What's New Pussycat. Whoa. whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. Uh, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Our website is talkmovietomepodcast.com. And become a Patreon member, patreon.com slash talkmovietome. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison.